want to say that it's good to see you all here. It's good to be back with you. It's been a little bit. It's good to see you. I uh, sent a message to uh, Massachusetts the other day, and uh, they had a nor'easter coming through. If you don't know what that is, Google it. But I said, how's that nor'easter working for you? It's 70 degrees down here when I sent the message. Well, I heard back from them and go, we sent you some to see how it's working for us. And uh, so I, I've talked to them and I said, well, it, it's over now. The, the snow and the ice is pretty much gone. And they said, well, it was a hard winter for you guys and I'm glad it's over. You see, they think we only have two seasons. We have summer and we have February. <laughs> and so they go, well, I'm sure y'all endured a hard winter. So I'm glad everybody's here and everybody made it through the snowstorm and and it uh, looks like everybody's doing well. I want to ask you a question. This is what brought on what I want to talk about this morning. Do you ever feel like what you do in the kingdom or what your part in the Lord's work is, is kind of insignificant? You know, when you read some of the great things that they did in the Bible from the Old to the New Testament, there were a lot of big things that happened and big events that thousands of years later we're still preaching about and talking about. And you know, but our work and the things that we do, you know, I think we're more like what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes when he said, one generation cometh, another goeth, and is soon forgotten. Some of us that are older, we remember preachers from long ago, is the way the kids would put it, from a long time ago. But you know, we've got a congregation at home that about two-thirds of the people that attend that church have never heard of some of these old preachers. That generation is, is fading away. And sometimes we get to thinking that what we do is not really that significant. You know, Peter preached a sermon and 3,000 obeyed. And I know we can get into what percentage of the people that might have been that was in Jerusalem at the time and all that. But you know, the real work began after they obeyed the gospel. In fact is, 12 guys couldn't handle it. And the congregation continued to grow. And in fact is, you get to Acts chapter 6, and they say, look you out among you seven men full of wisdom and the Holy Ghost because they had something they needed to be appointed over to help. The real work began. And I wonder how many people were involved in the work of the Lord from the first century to today that nobody knows their name. Nobody knows what exactly they did, but we know they had to have done something. I love reading about the church at Antioch where, where Barnabas went for to seek Saul. You know why? An apostle didn't start that church. The apostles came later after the church was established. Who started that church? Who was responsible for it? Who was the leadership there? Really, you have no idea. Do you get to Acts 13? It talks about certain teachers, and they only named five, and two of them were Paul and Barnabas. That, that came later. What you do is important, and little things matter. What I want to talk to you about this morning is out of the book of Genesis, chapter 24. got to thinking about this. I call it the choosing of Rebekah. Abraham has a servant, and evidently this servant is an important one. He's a chief among them. And it's possible, some argue whether it is or not, that his name was Eliezer and that he is mentioned in Scripture. Uh, maybe that's the same guy. I don't know. I wouldn't get into that. But he was given a job and a task. Now, you know of Abraham. You know of Isaac. 
You know of Jacob. In fact, is Jesus when he was on the earth. He said, you'll sit down in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we know those names. We don't think about this servant that Abraham had. In verse number 1 of chapter 24 of Genesis, Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy, thigh, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by God, the Lord, by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. His job was going to be to go to Abraham's kinsmen and to take for his son, who is going to be the heir of what Abraham has, and through him, through the lineage, Christ is going to come into the world. And this servant is to go and choose a woman for his son. And he gives him explicit instruction in that. Now, you ladies may not appreciate this. I can, I can understand that we live in a time here, and when we're reading about, they're living in a time of arranged marriages. Now, what happened if your dad had died? And this is where a lot of the girls are going to get very upset. Your eldest brother would pick your wife or your husband, <laughs> you know, or, and so forth like that. And I'm not sure uh, that my sister would have been happy with the choices I could have made on, for her on that one. <laughs> but that's the way they did it. It seems strange to us because we, have the, we date and kids generally choose who they want to marry. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But back then, it was a, more of an arrangement of a situation, the way that would work. And so this servant is to go and to find that wife. And he said, don't go to the Canaanites. Don't go to the, to the people that dwell in this land. Go back to my kindred and choose for my son a wife. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 and 2, the Bible talks about a steward. Jesus uses... Uh, uh, I believe it's in uh, Matthew 16, talks about the parable of the unjust steward. And so they knew what a steward was. It was a servant that took care of things for the, the, the master of the house. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, it is required of a man, of a steward, that a man be found faithful. God has given you abilities. God has given you a place in his kingdom. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 and 18, if we believe the scriptures, that God has put the members in the body as it pleased him. You're here for a reason. You have unique abilities and skills and talents that God wants you to use. And you may not be recorded on the pages of history where they'll talk about it 4,000 years from now. But everything that's done is important. And these little things matter, folks. Now, the things that God has given into your hand... Are you faithful over them? Are you making sure it's getting done? Years ago from over at Bridgeport, Joe Richardson, one of the elders over there, he came and he preached for us at Gunner. And back then I was, a, I was probably a little more gung-ho than I am now, if that's possible, about the work that we were doing and going out and doing Bible studies and talking to people and inviting people to church. And Joe made a statement. And this is probably 40-something years ago. He said, if all you can do is keep the seat warm, don't ever let it get cold. 
and I like fell out with a heart attack. I mean, I like to pat. And I told him, I said, Joe, you can't come around here preaching that stuff. We got to go to work. We got to go talk to people. We got to be passing out flyers. We got to be going and doing Bible studies. And we got to, all this stuff, we need to be preaching the gospel. Don't tell them just come to church. Now, after 40-something years, you know what life has taught me? If all you can do <laughs> is keep the seat warm, don't let it get cold. If that's your job, make sure it gets done. Folks, that's things we can all do. When there's a gospel meeting, when there's work going on, we can be there. We can show up if we want to. Now, I know there are times you're going to be hindered and you just can't. I know health reasons, and I'm, I'm full well acquainted with that. But for the most part, if you want to, you can show up. You can be there. It's pretty hard to get ask these evangelists that go around, bring in the world when we can't get the church to go. Are we faithful over the things God has given us to do? I would bring up another thing. Are we happy with the position that God has put us in? You know, one of the problems we have in, in uh, the gospel work is preachers think they're singers and singers think they're preachers. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of like the cow. I got my head through the fence. You know, God has given you an ability. I will tell you this. I'd rather preach you a sermon than I had to lead a song. I'll tell you that. I don't lead a song unless I really just need to or, or it's incumbent upon me. And I'll tell you why. In that songbook, you got those notes, those shape notes. And you know where that's supposed to be at. You have no idea where this sermon's going. I know you don't, because I don't have any idea. We're all going to be surprised together when we get to the end. And so that's probably why I would rather do it this way. But God didn't make me a singer. I'm sorry. You know, the Bev will tell you, and she gets on me about this. She says, you really need every now and then to do this. The congregation needs you to do it. I hate making announcements. I see the other guys get up here and they just flow and they can do it and they talk about the, the folks we need to pray for and the events that are going on and I get up and when I'm doing an announcement I always leave somebody out. I always forget something I need to say and I stumble around up here like I don't know what I'm doing. That's not my cup of tea. What is my cup of tea? Hopefully what I'm doing. What is yours? It is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. Now, I'm going to tell you something else Jesus said. To whom much is given, much is required. So whatever he's given you, it will be required. And I hope we take that to heart and think about it. Jesus, in John 19, verse 26 and 27, I like this verse. His last worldly thought. He looked down, saw the disciple whom he loved, and he saw his mother. And he said, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. His last request, of, of earthly request, was take care of my mom. And the Bible says from that day forward, that servant took her to his house and took care of her. He did what Jesus asked him to do. Now Jesus was going to ascend to the Father, and the great work of God was, fix, was really fixing to get rolling. But Jesus said, take care of my mom. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? That doesn't seem too hard, does it? 
unless Mary was cantankerous or something, you know, and hard to get along with, which I doubt she would have been because that's who was chosen to bring the Messiah. Maybe you'd have to be that way to get the, I don't know. But you know what? Jesus didn't have to worry about his mom after that. Now, you may not have been asked, and I have not been asked, to take care of the Lord's mother. But the Lord has given us things that he does want us to take care of. Can you trust that we're going to get it done? Now, I want to tell you something. Whenever I was working, it's been years since this has happened. When I worked for, the, when I worked for a company, I became a real good employee when the bosses were around. <laughs> I mean, we worked hard until they all left. I always liked working the night shift because I never saw them. I really like I could just kind of work at my own pace, shall we say. <laughs> you know, a lot of people, they want to run their own business. They want to be entrepreneurs, as we call it. You know one of the main reasons that people fail at, at running their own business and having their own business? Because normally what they've been doing is working for somebody else, and then they go to work for themselves. They can set their own hours. They don't have to answer to anybody, and they do what they want to. If you like nine to five, don't start your own business. It ain't for you. And that's why a lot of people, you've got to be self-motivated. You've got to be a self-starter to work for yourself. Jesus said, take care of my mother. And this fellow was going to do it, and Jesus didn't have to worry about that no more. Now, when you get to Matthew 25, about verse 18... I'm not going to read you the story of the parable of the talents. You know the story. Most of you do. If you don't, read Matthew 25. One guy was given one talent. That's all he was given, one. Do you know which guy was lost? Which guy was not pleasing to the master? It wasn't the guy with the ten and the five. It was the one talent guy. That was the one that, you know why? Because he didn't use his talent. He went and buried it in the earth. Years ago, a few years ago, we had a fellow that passed at home at the congregation. He never preached a sermon. He didn't lead a prayer. He didn't wait on the table. He did not take part in the public services. He took care of the law. You know, after he passed, it didn't take us long to figure out this didn't just miraculously happen. You know, when the weeds start growing up around the building and the bushes are looking bad and the building's not doing too good, you realize, you know, somebody took care of that, didn't they? Somebody had to. Somebody needed to. That was his thing. And he did it week in and week out all the time. You know, we missed him when he was gone. You consider that a big deal? I do. I guarantee you I consider that a big deal. But it's little things that matter. So it doesn't matter whether we're going to do great things where thousands obey the gospel because after that, that's when the real work began and who knows who all was there to help these apostles. The real work began behind the scenes and it was the little things that mattered. So whatever God has given you to do, you make sure you take care of it and don't leave it undone. Because God will require it at our hand. He says, I want you to go and I want you to find a wife for my son of my kinsmen, of our people. You know, when they entered the promised land uh, in the days of Joshua, in Judges 2 and 2, the Lord said, you shall not make a league 
with the nations, those idol worshipers and all around them. But he, the Lord goes, but you did. And he said, because you did, you're going to have problems from now on. And folks, that's why I don't think anybody's ever going to solve the problems in the Middle East. They couldn't do it back then because of the way the people disobeyed God, and they're not going to do it now because the people disobeyed God. Make no league with the nations. You know, I read, a, they used to have this Time Life book, and it was about different things, the railroads and the, the outlaws and the, the lawmen and all that. And one of the things I read about the lawmen was a lot of times the outlaws they chased, they knew each other real well. <laughs> because they would do what is called riding both sides of the border. <laughs> In other words, some of the lawmen had rode with some of the outlaws and vice versa. Do we cross the border every now and then? Do we make a league with the nations? You make a deal with the devil, you're going to lose. You don't change the devil, but the devil will change you. I guarantee it every single time. We need to not make a league with the nations. In other words, we stay to what God has told us to do and not what the world is telling us to do. We've got to be very careful, folks, because things don't happen all at once. There was an older fellow, and uh, he was talking one time, and I, I'm sure he didn't come up with this. <laughs> Seems way out of, above him, but maybe not. <laughs> and he said, what this generation tolerates, the next one's going to practice. We making a league with the nations? We making a deal with the devil? We gonna ride both sides of the border? Both sides of the fence, as they say? Or are we gonna stay true to God? Because what this generation tolerates, the next one is going to practice. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil communications corrupt good manners. Now this is one verse that I do like the way the modern translations put it. Evil companions corrupt good morals. You know, that is where we get the idea when people say, I really want help and I really want to change my life. you got to change faces and places, folks. That's where that comes from is 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and other verses, but particularly that one. You can't run with the same old crowd and be different. You can't go to the same old places and be different. It's not a good idea to put an alcoholic serving the bar at the bar or get him a job at a liquor store. And everybody goes, well, that would be obvious, but do we change faces and places? We still hang out with the same old crowd. We still do the same old things. We go the same old places. It's going to be very hard to make a change if you do that. And the fact is, I doubt you're going to change. When you determine in yourself that evil companions corrupt good morals, now, you are not going to be taken out of the world. Jesus said that in John 17. But you don't be of the world. You're going to have to work around worldly people. You're going to have to be around worldly things. You are going to live in this world. Jesus said that. But you don't have to be of the world. Who do you spend most of your time with? And are we having problems? If we're having problems, the first thing to do, change faces and places. 
Don't go to the same old place and don't hang out with the same old crowd. In Proverbs chapter 4, I want to share this with you. And I want to talk to parents for just a moment with small ones. Proverbs 4, 1 through 5. Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Solomon's talking about what his dad taught him and his mother taught him. And he said, heed my law, heed my word. Now Solomon didn't always do that. And it always got him in trouble when he got away from these kind of, these kind of things. Now Solomon is talking to his children. He's saying, listen to what I've got to say. And don't forsake this law. Why is it so important for parents to live and teach God's word to their kids? Now notice, I didn't just say teach it. I said live it with God, with, in front of your kids. Because one of these days they're going to grow up and they're going to find somebody that they fall in love with and they're going to want to get married. Now, all of us that are older have been down this road. And the strongest one wins. If they marry a young man or a young lady out of the world and that person is stronger in their convictions than our children are, the world will win. Now, we had a statistic come up a while back and it just scared me to death. Now, it's totally unacceptable in my world that in religion in general, by the time a child reaches 25 years old, 50% of them will no longer have anything to do with the Lord and the church. Now you look at all these little ones around, and one out of two of them's gone. That's scary, isn't it? They won't make it. Now, among the churches of Christ, we bat a little better. And they lump us all together so you'll know what the statistic is. We only lose one in four. That acceptable? 25% of them are gone? Folks, that's not acceptable. And it's going to start with parents teaching them and living the law of God in front of them. Years ago, Jeremy came to, came to me and said, Dad, my friends are going, and we're going. There's this party, and and I want to go to it. And I said, okay, what kind? What's going on? I wanted a little more information. He told me about it, and I thought, okay. And then he said, the problem is it's on Sunday. And I said, well, son, mom and I have shown you what's right, and we've taught you what's right. You do what you think is right. And he ducked his head, and he went to church. I was very proud of him for that. Now Melissa, his sister, came shortly thereafter, and I thought. And she goes, Dad, my friends are going to go and they're going to be doing some things. And I forget whether they're going Six Flags or where they're going, something like that. And all that. And I really want to go. And I thought, I got you. I've been here before. I said, Mom and I have showed you what's right. We've taught you what's right. You do what you think is right. And she goes, yes. <laughs> and I'm going, ho, 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 ho here. You know, with kids, one size does not fit all. 
And so we had to do a little bit more teaching, perhaps, than we had done the first time. But I want you to know, when they marry, the strongest one's going to win. You make sure yours are the strongest ones if you want them to go to church with you. Now, when we get back to Genesis 24, I want to show you some things that I think are important. You know how Eleazar brought the camels. They came to the well where Rebekah was going to draw the water. And the first thing Eliezer did was he prayed. So evidently he was a God-fearing man and he was a godly man and probably had learned that from Abraham. You don't know where he exactly who influenced him to be this way. But he come and he talked, and they had talked about what if this girl doesn't want to come? He said, then I'll, I'll release you from, from, this, uh, from this covenant with me. But don't, and then my son will not go there either, but he don't go to the Canaanites and things like that. So he goes and he finds Rebecca, and sure enough, the Lord has blessed him, and it's the right girl. And he knows it immediately. And he goes and he wanted to go to, he went to Rebecca's house, met with her father and her brothers, which was, I told you, part of the way they did things back then, and said, Abraham, my master has a son named Isaac, and we want Rebecca to be his wife. And they talked about it. And this is interesting when you get down to verse 55 of Genesis 24. And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at, at the least ten. After that she shall go. And he, that is Eleazar, said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way, Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. I want you to know something. I want you to know what those words, those three words, I want you to know what they really mean. Why were they wanting her to stay another ten days? Now, folks, this wasn't a time when you could go down to the bus station which you probably wouldn't want to do anyway, and get a ticket to go somewhere. Or you could go down to the airport, hop on an airplane, and within 30 minutes to an hour, you could be several hundred miles to a destination. Or you could get in your car and in a day's time drive several hundred miles. This could be the last time Rebecca saw her family. Her mom, her dad, her brothers. The place she grew up, everything she understood, her friends, the people that were contemporaries with her age, it's very likely she would never see them again. But the Lord said, go get her. So they said, well, give us at least 10 days. I wonder, were they going to have a celebration? Were they going to have a going away party? That makes sense to me. Were they just going to be a small, that small family unit hanging out because they may never see her again? And the servant of Abraham, the servant of the Lord, said, don't hinder me. I've been prospered all this way. Let us go. And finally, in desperation, they say, well, I'll tell you what, we'll talk to the girl. We'll talk to the damsel. And we'll let her decide. And here it comes. And she said, I will go. I will follow the Lord. I will do God's will. And I want you to know, she did that at great cost to herself. Now, I'm glad we live in a world where when kids get married and they go off to other places, 
that we still have the opportunity to be able to see them again and be with them again. I never realized the distances that was happening. One of the young men at home was preaching. And Paul said to Titus that he left him in Crete that he should set in things that are order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city. Paul told Timothy, I left you in Ephesus. This young man pointed out, I took a map, they were 700 miles apart. Now, 700 miles to me and you, not a big deal. Get on an airplane, grab a bus, a train, get in the car. Not then. You see, I always had this idea that Paul and his group kind of worked in this little small area and they knew each other and saw each other every day. You know, over 700 miles, we're talking about walking people. Only rich people had a horse. You ever rode a horse 700 miles? I've rode a lot of horses, and I've never gone 700. I don't want to go 700 miles on a horse. I like my horse, but I don't like him that well. It'd take a while to do it. They, used, they said that it used to take from East Coast to West Coast, it, it could take you about 90 days if you were going in a straight line on a horse and you could just go from East to West. Most of them with their wagons and things would take months, not days, to do it. So they were 700 miles apart. If Titus and Timothy saw each other two or three times in their life, it would have been, it would have been fortunate. Rebecca's gone, and she's going to be gone forever. She's probably never going to see them again. Her home, her family, her friends, the people she grew up with, the people she knew, the area of the world, she'd probably never see them again. But you know what she said? I will go. Which brings me down to my conclusion. God has a plan. Question is, are you in it? Are you willing to say, I will go? even at great sacrifice to yourself. Moreover, it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. The small things that we do, they, may ne they will never be recorded on pages of Scripture, and it may be that a generation or two from now, nobody will remember our names. But what you're doing is important. God has a plan. Make sure you're in it as we stand and sing.